Hopefully you have a Bible. If not, make sure you go grab one. Um, today, we're going to cover a lot of grounds today. Um, we, I know we started real slow. Uh, slow and steady win the race, but today we're going to catch up. So we started a whole series called GPS God's Positioning uh, System and really talking about the whole Bible. The, under this whole Bible, there's really one story. All 66 books really boil down to this one story of God, and it is important, imperative for each one of us to find that where we are in that story. It is more than just facts. It is more than just history. But God has a story that is so important that he put it down in words so that you and I can hear it, read it, and be reminded of it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, started the series. We began in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We talked about creation, how God created the most perfect place. We talked about how God created the angels, and yet because of sin, the devil, Satan himself, fell. And as a consequence of that, he was banished from God. And we talked about how God created a whole world in six days, rested in seven and then he created a human being, male and female, Adam and Eve. All things created, the underlying truth and reality of his creation is that he, everything he has made is good. And exceedingly good. And that's what God had done in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Last week, we, went to, we talked about how there's six acts in this story. The first act was creation. The second act was this, that there is a problem. Particularly, there is rebellion that exists in the kingdom of God. There is some problem going on in there. The problem is that Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent, which we found out it was Satan. And because of the temptation, they, they yield themselves to hear the voice of the serpent, and as such, they ate the fruit, which, by the way, they could have eaten from any other tree, but the only tree that they are not supposed to eat from, they ate from. And that, that presents a problem for God, because God is a holy God. We saw how there was punishment, there was judgment, that Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden, the very place that they experienced the presence of God, the very place where there was no sin, and yet they were cut out from there, and God said, you will never return. But not only that, the serpent was being, uh, being uh, judged by God, it will crawl on his belly, and it will be uh, crushed one day by the offspring of Eve. Adam and Eve did not get off uh, uh, scot-free either because Adam were, was, was judged and as a result of that, he needed to work extra hard in life. Eve had to bear pain in childbirth. And last week, the major takeaway is simply this, that you and I have this condition called sin and there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. And that's where we stand in the story of God, that God created the most perfect world. And yet we saw through last week from Genesis 3 all the way to the end of Old Testament that God continued to, uh, to see sin being exposed, sin being committed against him, against one another. And we continue to live in that condition unless something gets started. Something changed in your life and my life. Last week I talked about my, my, my first love aside from my wife and my children and God. Uh, I talked about coffee. So today I'm going to move to my second love, which is food. Most of you guys like food, yeah? Food? Yeah, good. Okay, I love food. I love eating it. I like making it. I like cooking it. And what I realized is that as I learn how to cook more and more, as I grow in my culinary, culinary skills, what I realized that a lot of times the best food 
just takes a long time to cook. So I used to make this brisket, that braised brisket that my kids love to eat. Um, it will take hours. And some of our leaders have also tried my brisket, my smoked brisket. It takes 18 hours to put that thing in a grill and just smoke that. It takes a long time. And what happened is a lot of times I cook those really good food. My kids would just come in the kitchen and at first hour say, Dad, is it done? I would tell them, no, that's far from done. Now you need to do 18 minus 1. You got 17 more hours to go. And then they're like, I'm so hungry. That's hour one. Second hour, they come and look at the clock, and they still ask the same question. Daddy, is it ready? No, it's not. Only two hours have passed. There's 16 more to go. So after a while, they, they just keep coming and bug me and say, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm so hungry. So what I needed to do is, during the 18 hours, obviously we need to feed them because uh, they need to eat lunch. Uh, that the, the food is for dinner. So we'll give them something smaller. Right? Something that they will eat and they'll be, yeah, like they won't be hungry that they're not so full that they won't eat what they've been wishing and dreaming and smelling to want to eat. Right? And it's kind of like an appetizer to an entree. Like no one just, well, I don't know, some of you might, you like your appetizer, good, like if it's really good, you might just scarf down the appetizer and never make it to the entree. Which is really the main show, right? The entree is what you want to eat. This may be a piece of steak, maybe a fish. But you, you should not, like, down, like, five, five bottles of soda, eat all the appetizer, and by the time you eat the main course, you have no appetites. And the reason why I share with you is this, because what we will see today, we went slow, I said, we went slow and steady in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Today, you need to put it on your seatbelt, because we're going to go from Genesis chapter 4 all the way to Malachi. If you look at your Bible, that's all of the Old Testament. That's, 20, that's 39 books out of the 66 books. We're going to make a quick sprint all through the Old Testament. And the reason why I share with you about the, my, my, my experience with food is simply because of this. Because this next act of God is going to be called redemption. It's going to be called promise. Promise. But this promise would start, but it would not be completely fulfilled. The promise will begin in the Old Testament, but at the end of the Old Testament, this is like an appetizer. This is like the, the, court, the, the snack that I give my kids. It is not going to be the finished meal until later on. And we won't see that till the next, the next, act, uh, next week. But today we're going to get that started because God, in His sovereignty and love, initiated a promise to you and I. Way before we were born, way before we even know what is going on. He initiated a promise that will be fulfilled for generations to come and finally fulfilled perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. But today we need to walk through this initial state of how God initiated. And pretty much that's what you can sum up the Old Testament. And I realize for many of us, Old Testament is just that flower that no one wants to eat. It's dry. It's irrelevant. Why do I have to care about eating impure things that now is very pure? But today, this, I, my hope is this, my prayer is this, that I will give you a reading guide for the Old Testament, help you see, see how important this part of the story is, so that you will appreciate and realize that when you see Christ, Christ is the fulfillment of all that had happened in the Old Testament. And if you do not get that part, you will not appreciate the main entree 
that good food, that good promise that being fulfilled by Jesus. And that's what we're going to do today, okay? So uh, we're going to jump right into there. Uh, as I've done the last few weeks, I'm going to do a lot of storytelling. There's impossible for me to read through the Old Testament for you in this one setting. Uh, but we will start where Abraham is. Uh, Kevin earlier read the passage because uh, Abraham, uh, for Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, view of your Bible, please turn there. That is going to be the main part that we're going to touch on. Just to remind us, God has seen the world fall apart, Tower of Babel, Noah, flood, and all that stuff. And now when we enter into Genesis chapter 12, by the time Genesis 11 is, is ending, the world is in chaos, it's in sin. And God's been doing a lot of things to the people of God, to, to the people that he created. But now when we go to 12, he kind of zoom in on this one person, that one family, namely Abram which later named Abraham. And I want to read for us in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Here's what the Word of God says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God made a promise to this random guy named Abram. And there are three, uh, the one word that I repeat over and over again in this passage is the word bless. There are three things that we see which will be the read, uh, kind of the guide for you to read through the, the rest of the Old Testament because God made this promise to Abram. One, he promised Abram that he will have his name to be great. And the way his name is going to be great is because he will eventually, keyword eventually, to have many, 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 many descendants. In fact, God will bring him out in the, in the, in the, in the middle of the night and look at the stars in the skies and say, just like the stars in the sky, just like the sand in the sea, you will have descendants upon descendants upon descendants. That's the very first thing. So now say to your neighbor, descendants. That's the one thing that we see God promise Abraham. Descendants, kids. Here's the second one. He said, I will give you a nation. I will give you this piece of land. I will make you a great nation. This nation will own their own piece of land. That's the second thing. We see descendants, we see land. Say to your neighbor, land. So what's the first one? What's the second one? Now here's the last one. At the end of that verse, he says this. I, in you, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The third blessing has nothing to do with Abraham. The third blessing has to do with the rest of the world. God said, through this person, through this family, I am going to restore all things that was lost because of Adam and Eve. You might be wondering last week, after we talked about Adam and Eve, you're like, that's so unfair. They sin, we get messed up. I have no choice in that. But on the flip side, we see through Abraham, eventually through Jesus, through one man, we can always, we can bring it, God can bring it all back to us. We can restore us in full. Now here's what's going to happen. You need to keep your fingers here because through Genesis, this really short verse passage, through Abraham, you will be able to read through the rest of the Old Testament because the rest of the Old Testament is essentially God fulfilling partially of the descendants that he promised to Abraham, 
but not only the descendants, what's the second one? The land that God promised Abraham, and for the rest of how God will deliver and bless the rest of the nation through this group of people called Israel, the nation of Israel. And that's what makes up the rest of the Old Testament. The next 38 books is going to be about how God partially fulfilled his promise. The first thing we see is this, after Abraham, the first promise is what? Descendants, right? Here's the problem. Abraham was given this promise, but until he was 75, he still could not get a boy. Much less than a boy. He couldn't even get a kid. It's awfully hard to fulfill that promise that says you will be great because of descendants that you have, and yet you can't even have one. You can't get one, you can't get to a hundred. You can't get two before you get one. And here's the problem. Abram and Sarah, Sarah, his wife, was was doubting God and said, well, can God really do this? In fact, when it was announced to them, they started laughing. So God had to take Abram out and kind of point at you, remind him, you can trust in me. And because of that, we know that Abram trusted in God. It was counted as righteousness. But in the midst of that, they still struggle with their sin. You see here the sin again, that Abram and Sarah decided to make it their own way. They said, well, we can't get a kid ourselves. Let me grab an Egyptian slave. Abram, you, 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 you sleep with her and voila, there's the son. We can, we can help God out. God can't fulfill his promise. Let us help God out. But unfortunately, that's not the way of God. God, see, God has a promise that he will fulfill in his own way. And because of that, they gave birth to Ishmael. But because of Ishmael, the relationship between Sarah and, 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 and Ishmael and Hagar, their rela- uh, Ishmael's mom, started, get, started fighting against one another. It got to the point that one day they have to kick out Hagar and Ishmael. And even then, Abraham and Sarah, imagine you're in their place and thinking, can God really fulfill this promise? Would God do it in any other way? It wasn't until year later when Abraham turned 100 that he eventually got the very son that God had promised him. God always delivered, but he's never late. And you would think after that, Abraham will trust God. But we see after he got Isaac, his first son, that we fast forward, we got Isaac, we got Jacob. Jacob is Isaac's son. His name was later changed to Israel. And then we know the story continue on. Jacob had 12 sons, therefore the 12 tribes of Israel. And God continued to bless them. He blessed them to the point that they ended up selling one of their brothers named Joseph. And he went to Egypt. He got sold to Egypt. And then through God's providence, he rose to be the second in command in Egypt. I notice that God fulfilled his promise amazing, maybe not the way you and I think, because guess what? The people of Israel continue to grow, continue to populate in the place where they're in, outside of where they're supposed to be. They're in Egypt, and they continue to grow bigger and bigger. It came to a po- prop- became a problem, because Pharaoh said, these people are growing way too big, way too fast. So then you flip to Exodus, right? You flip to Exodus, Pharaoh had this problem of being fearful and starting to say, I will kill every firstborn. I will make them to be slaves. Pharaoh was arrogant. He wanted to eliminate the very people God had promised to, to, to raise up. So what happened? We remember the, the main character, Moses. God called Moses and said, you go battle against Pharaoh. Remember the story of the ten plagues. 
God used every single one of those plagues to, to force, to harden Pharaoh's heart to the point. Finally, he's really re- willing to let go of the people of God. The massive amount of people, millions of, of people of God. And you're a Pharaoh, you're thinking, man, I'm letting go millions of slaves that can be working for me. But yet we see the promise of God being fulfilled. God forced Pharaoh in some ways to let go of this people. Then we come to the story, the Red Sea. They were leaving. They were on the way out. They come before the edge of the Red Sea. There is the water. There is the, the sea. There are the people Pharaoh was chasing after them. And you remember what happened? Moses has to raise his staff and the sea parted. And the people of God walked through it. And by that time, you would surely think, man, if I'm standing among those millions of people God had delivered from Egypt, man, this God must be real. Man, we are on our way to promised land. Man, let's listen to this God. Let's trust in this God. But we know that is not true. Because by the time they get out into the wilderness, they start rebelling against God. God, sent, uh, God called Moses up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. What do the people do on the ground in the foothill? They were partying it up. They start putting all the jewelry together and make themselves a god, a golden calf, to worship. As a result of that, we see God is fulfilling his promise. In fact, they're on the way to the next promise, which is to what? To the land that God has reserved for them. But along the way, they chose not to follow God. Along the way, they chose not to worship God. And so God sent these people, what, what did they do? To be in the desert for four years. Wandering in 40 years and say that these people would not enter into the promised land. Again, we see the grace of God in that God could annihilate the entire group of people, entire nation of people. But God spared them and said, this generation will not go in. I will allow the next generation to go in. And God gave them laws, commandments, all the boring stuff that none of us want to read from Leviticus, Deuteronomy. All of those things are meant For a reason. They are part of the way that God fulfilled his promise saying that I care for you, my people. So I'm going to set aside a set of laws that will help you to live depending on me, dependent on me, live in such a way that every single thing you do at home, the way you farm your animal, the way you, you, you interact with one another, all those things are Governed by God's command because God has the best interest of his own people. But we saw last week. Sin continues to infiltrate into their lives. Even though when God gave them the best of laws, God gave them their own pre- his own presence, they continue to sin. And so God continue out of the law, give them a system of sacrifice. Out of that law that God has given them, God gave them a way to repent of their sins. That every year they will bring in a, a, an animal, an unblemished animal, that they will kill, that they will be washed away by the blood of that, of that animal, so that they, God will repay of their sins and they can be clean. But they've got to do it week, uh, year after year. And every single little thing that they have done wrong, they need to go into the, the tabernacle, which is like a tent, before they have the real temple. They will continue for generations to go, keep going again and again and again. This is why those sacrifices are so important. But remember, this whole time in the Old Testament, it is not meant to be the full course, the full meal. 
this is meant to be a temporary thing for them so that they can experience forgiveness, they can be restored back to God. It will not solve the problem because you and I know the moment they sacrifice those animals, the next day they sin. And before we get judgmental on them, we do the exact same thing, don't we? We sin and we say, sorry God, forgive me. Next thing I woke up, I do another thing that is sinful against God. So God gave them a system to be repent, to be restored, but it was not meant to be the final deal, the final thing. And here they are wandering in the land, and finally we go to Joshua. God raised up a leader after Moses to lead them into the promised land. They experienced victory. They started conquering all peace, all the land and the land of Canaan that God has given to them. But yet through all of that, they continue to disobey God. They continue to struggle. They continue to, instead of being an example of what life is like to be with God, they ended up being more like the world around them. God gave them specific instruction not to soil yourself with the nations around you because they are pagan religion. They are people who will lead you astray from God. And that's where all the books that you read, God continued to give them kings after kings, judges after judges, to help them to correct their way back, but yet they refuse. To come back to God. And now we fast forward all the way to all the prophets, major, minor prophets. And those prophets are meant by God to remind his own people. Come back to him. To return back to him. Every one of the prophets were given by God to be the voice of God to call upon his people. You've sinned so badly, and in fact, every major prophet that you see up there are calling them. There will be consequences if you continue to be disobedient to God. In fact, it will get to a point, they prophesy, predict there will be a point that one day God will kick you out of your own promised land. God promised there will be land, God promised there will be descendants, but if you're going to continue to refuse God, God will kick you out. And again, The people of God continue to refuse to listen to God. Which you see on the screen here, the dotted line, every single prophet after that is a prophet. They were prophets speaking to the people who got kicked out of the promised land. I don't know about you. If you were God by this point, I think we've got enough. There's a great enough sample size to know that these people are just never going to come back to him. If you were me, I'll probably just not just kick them out completely. I'll just from the problem. I'll, I'll just kill them all. But here's the crazy thing: even in the midst of their exile, when they are conquered by Assyria, when they are conquered by Babylon, they're living as slaves once again. God continues to remind them: it is never, never, ever too late to return back to me. You can always return back to me. And God, one day, at the end of the Old Testament, we see that God started calling some of those people back into the promised land. Groups of people start going, you read Ezra, Nehemiah, people start returning to the land, and they continue to wrestle with God to see what does it mean for us to stay faithful to God and walk with God. So for centuries, for centuries, God's people, Israel, were out of their land, under oppressive thumb of, of other nations, but God continued to send prophets to them, not just to remind them they can return, but that there will be a main course. 
there will be something that finally will save them. That there will be a promise that will be fully fulfilled. God's people will be redeemed. They will be saved. They will have a new heart that no longer depend on yearly annual sacrifice, but they will get a heart that will remind them every single day that they belong to God, they have the ability to follow God, which next week we'll talk about. So let me catch my breath. That is essentially what the Old Testament is all about. How God carried His promise through and continuing being with people. Here are a couple of things I want us to walk away with about humanity. Here's the first thing I want you to remember. That we are saved, we're chosen in spite of us. The people of God were chosen. Abraham was chosen not because he was the best man on earth. You and I were chosen not because we sinned less than the person next to us. I want to read from us Deuteronomy chapter 7 when God spoke to his own people whom he knew was rebellious. Hear what he says. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. If we saw right there, you would think Israel, the nation of Israel, was so loved by God because so lovable. But look at what it says at the end. It says this, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not, not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. One, God did not choose them because there were a lot of people. Two, for you were the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you. And he's keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. The nation of Israel was chosen not because they were, have a good track record of following, Jesus, of following God. They were chosen because God had promised Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. And if you go back further, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, we talked about the promise that God had made against the serpent. That one day a human will come and crush the serpent's head. So you and I were not chosen because we're good. Let me list some, some spectacular example of that. Noah got drunk. God chose him. Abraham was too old. God chose him. Jacob's name was a liar. God chose him. Gideon, the kids were learning that today in our children's church. Gideon was afraid. He was a chicken when God called him to fight for him. God chose him. Rahab, a prostitute. Jeremiah, too young. David, King David, had an affair. And he murdered someone. Moses, also a murderer. Elijah was suicidal at some point. Jonah ran away from God, and yet God chose them in spite of them. And I think which leads to the second reason why, I think which leads to our second point about what we need to understand about ourselves. Our place in this story is simply this, that we're chosen not because to have privilege only, but also for service. You see, God chose these broken, messed up people. Why? Yes, one is to show grace upon them, to give, show, give them privileges that other people do not have. But more importantly, God wants to use them. God wants to use them to be a blessing to others. That was the very promise that God had given to Abraham. God did not just want to bless Abraham. Yes, he blessed Abraham. But there is an external aspect to that blessing. God blessed them so that they can be a blessing to the rest of the world. We are always called as Christians a display people. D-I-S-P-L-A-Y, display. Very much like at the mall, you go to a window display. The whole point of window display is what? To show forth the best thing that store is selling. 
Right? That's why it catches your eye when you walk through the mall. I like that dress. Well, I don't like that dress. Maybe my wife likes that dress. Let's go in. Well, I like that tie. They give the best out there. And what God does, he wants to do the exact same thing in your life and my life. He said, you know what? You guys are broken. You are messed up. Man, I'm going to use you so that people, when they see what you can, what's going on in your life, they say, there's no way that things can happen in Ben's life the way it is. And the only explanation is because God exists in his life. That he has God in his life. We are meant to be a window display for other people. That is the whole story of the nation of Israel. That's why God gives them rules and commands so that they can show the rest of the world, man, what life ought to be like. What life would be like when you have God in your life. And yet we see time and time again that they refuse to live in that good life that God installed for them. Next one. That the root of our rebellion, the root of your rebellion, the root of my rebellion is always a matter of faith. I'm always a matter of trust. Our rebellion, just like Adam and Eve, just like every single story that we read in the Old Testament, is never just a matter of doing or not doing. I think at the end of the day, when we come to Christ, when we have, talk about Christianity, we tend to think this is a religion of doing or not doing. This is a to-do list, not to-do list. But you see, the core problem with these people is not that they do something, not do something. The main problem with them is their heart. You see, when you believe in who God said he is, you will always do what he said, told you to do. And there are things that my kids would do that they know, they know that I will be upset about and they make a mistake. But if they really believe that I love them no matter what, they can own up to it. They can talk to me about it, even with consequences. But they got to believe and know that I love them enough that they will come up to talk to me about it. You see, every person who has sinned in here, Adam and Eve, just don't believe God enough that God has the best plan for them. They don't believe that what they're experiencing is actually the best that they can ever experience. So they chose not to believe in God and decided to sin. The nation of Israel did the exact same thing when they're wandering in the wilderness. The reason why they get there is because they don't believe that God is still with them. God was with them in Egypt. God was with them in the Red Sea. When Moses went up to the mountains, somehow they don't believe that God is still with them. So they decided, let's just make our own God. You see, every single rebellion that you struggle and I struggle with comes down to faith. Do you believe in what the Bible says to be true? Or do you listen to the serpent of a, a poor version? A cheaper version of what to be true. And it might feel good at the time, but at the end of the day, it is really going to bite us. Here's the, last, here's the next one. We talk about three things about God. Here's the next one about, uh, three things about man. And here's, I want to share three things about God. And this one is hard. I think before, we, we, before God works through us, he must work in us and with us. That's just how God works. Think about it. Abraham had to wait 25 years. 25. Some of you are not even 25 sitting here. 25 years to get his first son. Moses had to shepherd for his father-in-law for 40 years before God used him to bring the people out of Egypt. 40 years. 
I'm not 40. 40 years. Israelites had to wander 40 years in the desert before God bring them to the promised land. David had to wave over 20 years. He was a young boy and God told him, you will be the king. But there's another king named Saul. You have to wait for 20. Imagine, many of you are youth. Someone come and tell you, you will be the king of the world. But you got to wait for 20 years. The first question I'll be asking is, why can't I be now? David had to wait for 20 years. Why? Because God needs to work in him and work with him. Don't be so hurried to become the things that God, well, that you think God wants you to be. Live in the present so God can work in you and work through you and work with you. And we see it time and time again in the Old Testament. God is not so interested in turning you into something that can use you for. But he is securing for himself a people that is more and more like him. And that takes time. And that's the same reason why you need to come here every single week. That's the same reason why you got to open up that Bible every single day because it's not going to just magically open one day. You hear someone else to come and preach. You're like, man, it makes sense on me. I shared it with you this way. Many of us don't remember the meal we eat most days. But the very reason you're sitting here alive is because you're eating those unfor- uh, very forgettable meals. And we got to come before the Lord and let, give space for God to work. You are not out of place. No matter what you're going through around, that you're exactly where God is calling you to be. So unless we trust Him, unless we let Him work in us, we cannot. God cannot work through us. Here's the next one. Second one about God. God is so faithful. God is faithful to His word. God was faithful to Abraham. God was faithful to Isaac. God was faithful to to, to Jacob. God was faithful to David. God was faithful to Solomon, the one person that was supposed to be king, and yet He had many, many wives, and forsaken God. And God was still faithful to him. And God continues to be faithful and never let your emotion, never let your, the, your circumstances tell you otherwise. We have a whole book to, to, to tell us it's true. And never react to your reactions, or, the, or your emotions that, that get you out of this book. And now God is faithful to his own word. Here's the last one. God is ultimately after his own glory. And I know we use this word all the time. And perhaps it's hard for you because when we talk about evangelism, we talk about bringing people to Christ, it's always about their salvation. But we've got to understand, that coin had two sides. Yes, we reach people for Christ because people need to be saved from hell. But more importantly, more ultimately, God is doing his work because it's after his own glory. If you read through the book of Isaiah, you will see that phrase over and over again, for his glory, for his own glory, for my sake, for my sake. God, from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, wanted to set forth this plan of promise to restore all things well. Yes, it's for you and me, but more importantly, he's the king of kings. He deserved that glory. So when he created all things perfect, when it's messed up, his glory get messed up. And he is in pursuit of that restoration so that all glory, Habakkuk says, 2.14 says this, so that one day the earth will fill with his glory like water covering the sea. And I just want you to imagine that. Have you ever seen an ocean that has a hole in it? 
in the middle of the ocean, there's like this hole in no water. No. Every ocean that you look at, there is this endless sea glistening under the sun. That's what God is after. And the crazy thing is, when he gets what he gets, we benefit. We got salvation. We, when he's glorified, we get satisfied. To quote John Piper. We get most satisfied by God when God himself glorifies himself and pursued us. And that is the story. That's the first three parts of this story. And I hope that we will never forget this. That because this story will have an ending. Next week we will see this story will be fulfilled finally. Completely. And I hope that's what we'll remember. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this time that we can worship you. Thank you for reminding us of your great love for us. That we've seen patterns, cycles of sin, fallen, rebellion, and yet, God, you are ever so faithful. So God, I pray for us today. If there are any one of us who are stuck in that cycle, Lord, give us grace. Help us not to fight harder on our own, but come cleanly before you and lay before you and return back to you and draw, uh, draw us back to you. And for those of us who don't know you yet, God, I pray this story of love from your word will woo them back, win them back. And so get glory in this place. Get glory in our lives because you are so deserving of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.